Yeah, now have we started the recording proper, or right, where are we? <laughs> oh, no, we, I think Jeff wanted to do a little intro, and then we were going to get started. Okay, great. Tonight on the show, we have a very special guest competing the... I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, just from, from the top, just get that from the top. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Tonight on the show, we have a very special guest completing the Boys Podcast Trifecta. By being a guest on Doughboys, Deli Boys, and most importantly now Dune Boys, writer, director, and host of the upcoming Van Labs podcast, Mr. Van Robichaux. Hi, guys. Welcome, Van. Yes, welcome to the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, not to start uh, immediately with a correction, but uh, it's the upcoming Van Labs test podcast is the full name. That test word is important in there. Ah, okay. Well, there's a correction right there. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Otherwise, all all very accurate. I have been on the Doughboys. I have been on the Deli Boys, and here I am on the Dune Boys. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, welcome into the club. <laughs> um. So, what was your like? What's your relationship like with uh, with Dune with uh, with the with the Duneiverse? Um. So I have never read the book Dune. I want to put that okay. out there at the top of the show. All right. Um, I have seen the film. I liked the movie. I know it's notoriously a bad film, but I did like it. I do like David Lynch movies. Um, I, as a kid, saw it, and you know that uh, I, I don't have the best familiarity of the character names in Dune, but uh, you know the big fat floating guy. Yes, yes, the Baron Harkonnen. That's yes. it. That's it. Thank you. Uh, that uh, the image of that from that film was sort of like it burned into my mind as a youth from seeing it, uh, and I, it made me want to revisit it later. Um, I think I would like the book. I just didn't. Uh, I didn't read it when I was younger. And never read it as an adult, and here, here we found me on this podcast about it, and I still haven't read it. Well, I think uh, somebody's got to put that in your uh, in your stocking this year for Christmas because it's 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 quite the read, and you want to go into that new movie next year. Yeah, you want to go sure. into the new movie knowing at least what's going on a little bit, right? You you don't want to be left behind, right? That uh, the Baron was pure David Lynch. Being David Lynch, that was not anything in the book. Mm. That was David Lynch just saying, "Let's make this as weird as humanly possible, and make him disgusting and covered in sores and boils." And so, no sores and boils described in the book. Nope, that was that was pure. It's interesting. Let's top the Eraserhead baby and make people sick to their stomach. And this is a movie where they even made toys for kids with uh, the Baron and cat milking and. 
shirtless <laughs> sting running around. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, you see present day, you'll see Hollywood trends. You'll see The Hangover come out, and then you'll see a bunch of other movies about like drunk guys having a weekend come out in three, four, five years later. You know, it's fascinating that the Dune movie, which is nothing like Star Wars, it was created because Star Wars was created, and so there was this sense that there was a marketplace for movies like this. Uh, and to see it just kind of have the toys, and they tried the action figures and the playing cards and trying to really like go the full Star Wars route with it is, has created some very funny Dune ephemera that is out there. Well, I want to know... If it's just like I heard the the merchandise of Star Wars makes so much more than the actual movies themselves, it was just a guy, one guy in an office saying, "The kids are gonna love this. <laughs> the kids are gonna love Dune." Let's give David Lynch the keys to um, what could be. I don't know if they were trying to make it bigger than Star Wars, or if it's just a competition. I, I'm not sure. Like. Battlestar Galactica. I think they all just wanted in. So it really expanded the toy market as far as uh, as major motion pictures go. What goodwill did David Lynch have in the early 80s that they said, would you like this movie? And uh, My understanding yeah, is it, it's the producer of? of Dune, this guy Dino De Laurentiis, who was, I think, an Italian uh, guy, made American producer, who just got it. He had the rights to Dune, and he got it in his head that this this young up-and-comer David Lynch was the man to do it. He was going to be his genius in the way that George Lucas was the Star Wars genius. And so just one madman made the decision, and that's why. Yeah, they do go into that in that uh, in the documentary, which is really good, the, the Jodorowsky's Dune, which is a uh, really uh, fascinating kind of uh, maybe like the movie that could have been but wasn't. So, yeah, really, really fascinating movie. Uh, but anyway, I want to announce something, which is, uh, spurred on by my appearance on this podcast, I do plan yeah. in the year 2020 to read Dune. Perfect. That's great. We've inspired. We've got it. Like we were, we were talking about earlier. We need to start getting some, uh, some, some uh, endorsement deals from the publishers, from the publishers of, Dune. of this mm-hmm. book because mm-hmm. we've gotten so many people. We've gotten so many people on board to buying copies. I'm going to be getting so, Dune I mean, on my Kindle if they want to try and track that sale back. They can find it. There we go. Influencers, influencers, right here. Yeah, we've had about twenty people just send pictures of copies of Dune that they've picked up, and it's like, all right, Audible. Yeah, you guys need to set yeah. up an affiliate program. You know, Audible and Amazon. Yeah. I think both would let you sell copies of Dune with a link where you get like ten percent of the Dune sales. You guys got to set that up. Ah, You'll be the going. only person out going. there aggressively marketing copies of Dune the book. <laughs> Well, we gotta talk to uh, we gotta talk to Buzzcast about getting that going. Maybe, yeah, that sounds fun. I think with the movie coming out, we've got in there just at the right time before the Dune explosion post movie. Yeah, just like yeah, how yeah. there's fifty <laughs> podcasts called Watching Watchmen. Oh, oh, was that a little was that a little jab at uh, at our friend? Uh, oh Jack no, 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 no! Just an observation about how how the. Uh, podcast industrial complex functions yeah it does seem to get uh very uh kind of secular and like yeah I, I totally understand what you're saying though for sure we want to make dune the book that you want to be seen reading on a bus okay where you you hold it just uncomfortable enough that people can see the logo one of those uh-huh. where if you read a classic book you got to hold it at an angle that makes your neck hurt so people mm-hmm. see that you have like hemingway i saw this guy on the bus the other day who had a copy of Plato's Republic, 
and it was like all like dog-eared and like marked up and like he had like little post-it notes all throughout it and i was just like the fucking pretension <laughs> here like come on well, I, like, I, my, plato's republic i just am like he's taking all these notes like what is he gonna do with this he's got it figured out what's his what's next yeah, yeah. <laughs> what what's what's the, what's the next he's step? He's taken here? in the wisdom. He's got he's cataloged it. He's marked it. He's got his notes. He knows the places to check. What's he gonna do with that? Yeah, he yeah. keeps it at his yeah. nightstand like a Bible. Reads a passage every night before he goes to bed. Yes, this is pure, untapped, raw wisdom. I did have a question about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. Okay, I can answer some. I can answer some Sonic the Hedgehog questions. I have two uh existing contracts i'm under one is an nda that i signed with sony uh who no longer is making the movie and my interpretation is that did not transfer over to paramount and therefore i am under no nda however the second thing is that it has been announced that i'm going to tell something called uh the sonic saga on the van labs test podcast and that is my detailed description of uh, going to Japan, uh, getting the rights to the Sonic movie secured for Sony and eventually Paramount. And that story is a Van Labs test podcast exclusive. It was promised uh, to some of the early Patreon subscribers of Van Labs test podcast, and they would be very disappointed if they missed out on that exclusive. So I do have to caution that anything that is part of that, I cannot necessarily answer. That is completely fair. That sounds like an amazing podcast episode. So you went all the way to Japan to... Wow, that I sounds did, and really I, cool. I, I would really love to tell you that. all about it, but unfortunately it is exclusive. But what was your no, question? We'll wait, to, we'll wait to hear it on that episode. Yeah, we'll wait to hear it on that episode. That sounds really cool. I don't know if this will count, but when you went to Japan, do you have business cards? I do have business cards, and they are in English on one side and Japanese on the other, and that is exactly the sort of thing that the listeners to that podcast will get to learn about. Wow, a little sneak peek there. Did you have a 20-minute course on the proper way to present and receive business cards in Japan? Oh. Uh, I read an online tutorial that came with the business cards that I purchased. Uh, however, I did not watch uh, any sort of uh, training videos. Okay. That completes my Sonic the Hedgehog questions. Dickie? Wow. Wow. That, those are some hard-hitting <laughs> questions there. That was uh, that was pretty intense. Those, yeah, were, good. For sure. those were good questions. So now we're going to get to the uh, journalistic part of the podcast where we where we corner our our uh, our, our guest and we uh, ask him awkward questions about his uh, life and uh, yeah, this is why experiences I, this, in this world. This is the sort of reason that I'm notoriously media shy, but please go on. Mm-hmm. Yes. So first off, how do you balance our work and family? How do you balance that? <laughs> um, you know, it's tough. That is the classic question. That's the classic dilemma of uh, life under capitalism. Um, you know, when I'm writing movies, it's easy to do. Right now I'm in movie writing mode. And today I went with my wife to take my dog Lucky Blue to the vet uh, to get him all the shots he needed uh, to fly to the East Coast. We're taking him with us uh, on a trip to the east coast for christmas and then i came back to my oh, office cool. i met with evan susser uh we discussed uh feature writing projects that we're currently working on uh, and then i'm doing this podcast and then i'm going to go home to my wife and we're going to have some soup for dinner um Ooh, when i'm when i'm writing television uh the scheduling is much harder um i have to go there at 10 a.m every day and i leave 
at six at the earliest, uh, ten at the latest. And so TV schedule, it's harder to balance family things because family things can come up at any time or can be scheduled inconveniently. So it really, it's easy for me sometimes, like right now, and it's really hard for me other times. I think that about covers that question. That was a, that was an amazing answer. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that was in depth. So, what was speaking of work? Like, what was your first job in like in 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 like entertainment industry? Uh, my first, yeah, my first entertainment industry job was so after college. I moved to Austin, Texas, um, and I got a job there as a production assistant. That's the sort of like lowest job on a movie on this movie yeah. called. At the time, it was called Gary the Tennis Coach. It starred Sean William Scott and uh, Randy Quaid. It is a, like, R-rated comedy about a high school tennis coach. It was kind of, like, in the sort of post-dodgeball comedy era, a sort of a attempt at a comedic sports movie. It never ended up... It was originally intended to be a theatrically released movie. It made it to DVD in 2009, retitled Balls Out, the Gary Houseman story. Oh. Um, oh, okay, okay. Uh, if I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the more popular uh, Vinci Meister's Karate Master. Yes, it, yes, it, we saw that. Yeah. I think that movie wouldn't exist without the movie Balls Out, the Gary Houseman story, uh, which I that was my first job was as a PA on that, and so I met Sean William Scott. Uh, it was directed by this guy who directed uh, the first Harold and Kumar Um it was an interesting experience. It was my first exposure to a film set, uh, to a studio comedy, and it was the kind of experience. Now, granted, it didn't come out for years and then eventually barely came out on DVD, but at the time, I was like, well, I could do this. It didn't. I didn't realize later that this was like, oh yeah, no, no, no one wants to do that. That movie was a. That movie was a disaster. That movie was a problem. <laughs> that was like a low bar. Um, but thinking it was a high bar, yeah, and that, th- uh... thinking it seemed achievable, uh, it got me. Yeah. Uh, it got me to move to Los Angeles. But I worked on a few things in Austin. Yeah. There was that time in the two thousands when those those like raunchy, like. Yeah, kind of. Like yes, it was like an R-rated like sports adjacent high, yeah. comedy. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it was uh, though. I really, it's what got me interested in writing. Though I will say, uh, not to give too hard of a of a time to the two writers of the movie Stimson and Stock. I, as office PA, handled distributing new pages, and so when they would rewrite the movie as it was in production, I would have to like make photocopies of the new script pages and distribute those to all of the department heads. So like the person who makes the costumes needs the new script in case there's different costumes and so on and so forth. And so that was really how I learned like what it is, what writing a movie is. Like it's a thing where you're making a document that's constantly changing and it's changing because we couldn't get a location. It's changing because we got a different actor and he's really good at one thing and not good at another thing. And so it was actually a really interesting introduction to doing this kind of writing that I do because I, I kind of was able to be right up in it, taking the writing and then giving it to the people who had to go deal with the writing. And so it kind of let me understand what the writing is for. When you make a movie like that, does everyone on set treat it like a masterpiece? Like they're making Citizen Kane? Uh, no. Um, you know, so the crew of every movie treats every movie the same. Like the guys who like set up the lights, uh, they like will work on a Scorsese movie and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, Marty's good. He's got good hours. 
Um, they're very much like working class guys. They care a ton about the job, and I don't. I'm try not trying to talk negatively about them at all, but like they underplay like the working on the hits, and they don't stress about working on the bad ones. Like they have maybe some of the best, uh, most well adjusted attitudes in Hollywood. The like below the line crew guys. Do the producers and the uh, like director of even a movie like that act like they're making something great? Hopefully they do, because even the like what you might as an audience member perceive as sort of like the dumbest, worst movie, hopefully there's somewhere someone who really cares about it. And even if they know it's a dumb movie, they want it to be the best goddamn dumb movie they can make. And usually there is a person like that. So I wouldn't say that like they were talking about it like it was Shakespeare they were working on, but I think they thought they were going to make people laugh and they thought they were making something really really funny that was going to connect with people and it didn't quite do that but i think that they their hearts were in the right place for comedy i watch a lot of well you don't see them a lot anymore but when dvds were big there was always making of and documentaries and they would show a scene being shot where someone would walk down the street and as soon as they finished walking everyone would clap and i didn't know if that was commonplace there's sometimes there's uh, people get into things and people clap and things like that but i i I don't know if it's it it, you know people will applaud and clap and get excited at the last shot of the day or things like that but uh but yeah you know i really miss special features um one of my biggest frustrations in hollywood is they don't let me run everything or be in charge of everything but like if i if i ran netflix or amazon prime or any of the subscription video on demand services i would bring back special features and i would upsell them i would charge like an extra if you wanted to do it per special feature 99 cents if you wanted to do it as an extra netflix tier that came with all the special features i think there's a huge market for it i think people would love to bring back i think it would be great to bring back commentary tracks and special features i think that people would spend money on it i think there's an appetite for it and i think it is a travesty that they do not exist in the streaming world and that streaming has never been able to figure out how to do them and for all of the talk that I... these are brilliant silicon valley companies reinventing movies i don't know why they can't figure out how to sell me a commentary track yeah i completely agree as someone who owns about five different versions of blade runner the last collection of that had six six different discs and commentaries from every single person that worked on the movie from even the caterer and no i listened to every single one and even wow. the fight club dvd had like six different commentaries with fight everybody club's involved got, fight club's got some of the best special features it's great special features as a as a person who studied film and who wanted to be a filmmaker the fight club dvd is like a textbook uh, it's it's amazing the content that's on that DVD. Wow, cool! I gotta uh, I'll have to check some of that out. I don't have that. Uh, I don't have uh, I don't have the Fight Club, but uh, interesting. Um, so is that like working on that project? Is that when you knew you wanted to be a writer, or or had you been writing like previously, like growing up as a kid? Um, in college, I'd I was a minor in English writing, um, and then a double ma- okay. a double major in film studies and uh economics and i had started college as an engineer so the short answer to your question is no i didn't know i wanted to be a writer i had started to gravitate by the end of college towards filmmaking movies television comedy that kind of general area but i didn't really know what a screenwriter did until i worked on that movie 
Uh, and I worked okay. on some TV shows after that as well while I was there. And I moved to Los Angeles knowing that the things that in, so I so it was I was a PA. I interacted with all the department heads. I interacted with the actors. I interacted with the greensmen who bring in fake trees, or real trees that are not planted but look planted. The director, the costume designer, and I the, left. Was there a bug man on bug man on there set? Was, no, was there a bug guy? There, there? was not a bug guy. Uh, there was <laughs> some animal trainers, uh, but not for okay, not for right. bugs. That's close. Um, and I left that going. Okay, I am interested in writing. I am interested in producing, and I'm interested in directing. And I was like, I, I had, I didn't really think acting was my calling. Um, but, like, working with some actors, I was really like, these people do not think like I think. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, I want like, to control these people. Help me rule that. I want to control these people. These puppet pe- These puppet people. <laughs> some of the producers I really liked. Some of the producers I liked less. But I thought, okay, this is an interesting sure. job. I kind of get it. It's like a problem-solving kind of a job. And then the director, at least in the film world, he is like top boss on set he's in charge if there's a megaphone he gets it and so like i kind of understood that job and those three jobs i moved out to la being like these are like if i want to work in the entertainment business these are three jobs where i kind of understand what the job is enough to say like i'm interested in that um and so i moved out here kind of with those three things sort of circling around those and again when you move out here to Los Angeles to work in the entertainment business. It's not like you move out here and get a job as the thing you want to be because those jobs go to people who have already done that job and have experience doing that job. And you have to kind of like trick someone into getting that job. And so Mm -hmm. it it doesn't immediately completely matter exactly what job it is you aspire to because you can't get it anyway. Um, So I moved out here kind of knowing that that was sort of somewhere in that area of the people who work on a movie maybe before it starts or during when it starts in that kind of a capacity was what I wanted to do. Uh, It wasn't until I'd been out here for about a year that I was like, producers have to be on the phone too much. Uh, Directing uh, I'm interested in, but like the, the, I don't have any, I like, I got to direct if I want to direct and I'm not doing it. Writing. Let me try that. And so that was when I decided, cool. sort of decided to try my hand at writing and see if that was uh, a place that I could uh, do some valuable work in the entertainment business. Did you have time as awesome. a waiter? Awesome. Uh, no, I all of my so before uh, before I got into like the liberal arts at all, I was an engineer. Um, I got I went to school for engineering and I quit the first day. But as well, a result at least you of tried. That, all, <laughs> At least I tried. Uh, all of my like side gigs and side jobs, like I used to install DSL internet, they were all like technical based things because my like secret skill was always that I had a technical background, and so I could get a job doing something like being like a cable guy over being a waiter, and it would always pay a little bit better and usually have like more uh, like better hours. Um, so I never did any service industry jobs. I was always doing like. Um, I don't know. Is that the is the cable guy a service industry? I feel like he's yeah. It's is like he? the technical like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that's. I feel like if you went to service industry night at one of those bars that gives discounts to service industry people on a certain night, and you said you were the cable guy, they'd be like, no discount for you. This is for like waiters. Uh, yeah. 
That is, that's true. Like, but you are providing a service. Like, what is it like? Well, sure, right. Would you be like a tradesman? I, yeah, I like, don't know. But I, but those were the kinds of jobs a digital, I did. Digital, uh, digital tradesman. <laughs> I like did like tech support type jobs. Cool. So was that like you were saying that was your job before? I was gonna loop it back around and ask what your like very first job as a human being was like. Um, uh, like, like, did you have a crappy high school job or anything like that? So when I was in high school, I was, when I was in high school was, was when I first did a job like that. And that was my, that was the, the oh, installing okay. DSL actually, I was in high school. Um, but I continued and oh, I did wow, tech okay. support for a law firm when I was out here in LA, um, not working in the entertainment cool. industry yet. Uh, but yeah, so like my high school job was going to install DSL at people's houses. Pivot over to uh, Fist Fight now, if we if we may. Sure. Just wanted to ask, like, what were the origins for, like, that uh, story and, like, how it was, like, made and everything? Did you, like, approach a studio with it, or was it, like, Black Book, or...? Uh, so Fist Fight was brought to us as an idea. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. But the idea was two teachers get into a fist fight. That was that was the extent of the idea. That's it. <laughs> wow. All right. We had a meeting um, with these two guys who uh, they worked at a production company. Um, that company has gone on to they make Stranger Things. Um, so they're they oh. um, uh, they made a lot of movies and some television and uh, they still do both. But uh, we had a meeting with them. Uh, me and my writing partner Evan Susser. Some of the listeners may know him as the commissioner of the Doughboys. We had a meeting with uh, two producers who worked for this company uh, about this idea. Uh, it was just a sort of a general meeting. It was a lunch meeting, and they'd mentioned a few things. They mentioned that, and they asked if that was something we had any ideas on. And this is a very common kind of a meeting that happens. Uh, usually, what ends up happening is like you like the idea you don't like the idea regardless it's a bunch of work to figure out if you wanted to pursue the idea what would you do and so on and so forth so oftentimes we have these meetings and we'll end them with like yeah that's a it's an interesting idea good luck with it Uh, we're working on some other things things like that uh so we had that meeting we passed on the idea and then we uh, went about our lives worked on some other things worked on a jetsons movie uh, that never came to fruition, worked on some other things. Um, and then, uh, had another meeting with those same producers who were like, Hey, you know, we were thinking about that project we mentioned to you guys like a year ago. Uh, nothing ended up ever happening with it. We're circling back around on it ourselves. Is that something you guys would be interested in? It was a year later. We had worked on some of our own things. We'd pursued some other jobs. And then we kind of were like, you know, giving it some time. You know, when we first heard two teachers get into a fist fight, we were like, what is that? Nothing's there. What? How is that an idea? But now it's a year later, and we've been thinking about it for a year, and we're like, now we get, we kind of get what you get about it. We get how there is an idea there. Sure, yeah, there's something, some, there's something to And, explore. like, teachers don't get into fist fights. Kids do. Uh, <laughs> to put it, to put uh... it very simply. And so having sat on it and taken some time from it and heard a bunch of other ideas that were much worse from other producers, we were like, actually, we kind of like it. And if we were to do it, this would be uh, what it would be about and how it would be and the kind of movie it would be. We talked about the tone of the movie. We talked about uh, the sort of 80s movies that we liked that it kind of reminded us of. Um, I had always really liked bad day movies 
um, like movies that are set over only one day and it's a day that's going really badly. Yeah, those are great. Um, yeah. After Hours is one of my favorite ones of those. That's like the Scorsese Bad Day movie. It's like a, if you haven't seen it, it's like a con, it's like a sort of a, a, a like a sort of a slapstick comedy. It's the only Scorsese movie that Cheech yeah. and Chong are in. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I love those movies. And I had an idea for it to be the last day of school. This was, some of this is Evan's idea, some of it's my idea. I have no, I'm just taking all the credit. I don't remember whose idea it was, so I'll take all of it. Um, and oh, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. and that's so fine. It, the, <laughs> I, I, we had come to, what if it's sort of the last day of school and tensions are boiling over, and that's kind of the backdrop of it, and it's this one bad day movie, and it's like you, at the start of the movie, you can't imagine these guys would actually get into a physical fist fight. It's two teachers, and then by the end of it, you're like, well, they have to. Um, and that was sort of how we saw the project, and they said we really like that direction. We kind of figured that out, uh, and then we went and figured out what our version of that would be, pitched that to a few different studios with these producers. Uh, New Line, who eventually made the movie, really liked it, uh, hired us to write a draft of the script, uh, gave us some notes on the script, we wrote another draft, and then uh, Ice Cube and Charlie Day got attached to the movie, uh, and then Richie Keen, the director, got involved. Uh, and then they made it, and like it all came together really, really quickly and smoothly uh, from from once we decided to actually do it. But we did turn it down at first. Oh, that's cool! A little behind the scenes there. Yeah, that's interesting. So first you weren't super impressed, and then uh, you came around a bit on it, and that's and then it got made. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm I'm I I love the movie. I'm really happy with it, and um, I maintain that we were wrong to not want to do it at first and right to want to do it later i'd like to know um perfect if cheech and chong were in a martin scorsese movie and so was ray liotta what did those two people or three people do that they were never asked back because he cast the people that he used before a lot. That is That's true. true. That yeah. is true. He's got that. He's got that stable of actors. Ray Liotta is currently in Marriage Story, the other Netflix Oscar movie. But uh, but he's great in that. Uh, so he's still doing all right. He's still working. Cheech and Chong. They're still smoking. Everybody's fine. Yeah, they, they're they're doing like ads for like brownies for like incontinent people now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. So a person that shows up with two lines of two teachers getting a fist fight they can be producers i've noticed tv shows and movies they have 57 producers what do they actually do so the, how do i answer this question um yeah this is a big one this is a big one <laughs> uh, so the full history of the project is that and this will make it this is going to make the producers look even worse uh, but I guess that's okay. Oh no. Oh no. Two teachers get into a fist fight was not even their idea. Oh, boy. Uh, are you familiar with the show New Girl? Yes. Yes. Zoe Deschanel. Nope. That's correct. There's a character on that, one of her two roommates. Uh, the character's name is Schmidt. Are you familiar with Schmidt? I am familiar with Schmidt. Max, and I am embarrassed that I do not know his last name. Max Greenfield. Max Greenfield. He's a great guy. Uh, he had the idea of two teachers getting a fist fight for a movie. Uh, and eventually he was a awarded his rightful shared story by credit with me and Evan, so it's, he's all taken care of. Don't worry about Shit. Max. Okay. Uh, no, that's but cool. Max knew one of the producers, and Max said, hey, I, I, I'm an actor. 
I am not a writer. I have this idea that I think would just be like a really good movie. It could be a good comedy. What if it's about these two teachers that get into a fist fight? Now, he had it worked out a little more than just two teachers get into a fist fight. This is by the Stranger Things guys? because The producers they... are Stranger Things guys. Okay, because they have a history of doing things like that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not those guys. Okay. Not those Stranger okay. Things guys. Okay. Sean Levy, the director who directed the pilot of Stranger Things and produced the series. Not the... What are the Stranger Things brothers guys' names? The oh, Duffer brothers? So brothers? They'd be so upset to know that I didn't have it yeah, the, at hand. The Duffer uh, the, brothers are known Duffer for... Not the Duffer brothers who... I'll explain what happened with the Duffer brothers in a, if you want to know. Oh, I, 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 I know do. That story. This is some I know real, that story. We're getting we'll into get some, into that in a minute. This is some real inside baseball um, here. No, not the, Duffer brothers, the not the Duffer brothers. Not the Duffer brothers. This is Sean Levy who did the Night of the Museum movies. Uh, you know that Hugh Jackman robot boxing movie? That's him. Oh, real yeah, Steel. What was that? Real Steel. Real yeah. Steel. Um, so she's a cool Ooh. guy, though. That's, like, a bad movie, but it's, like, kind of, like, f- a fun idea. It's, like, what if big robots boxed? Sure. Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's, yeah, he's sure. like, a very visual guy, and he's, like, a, kind of got a fun style to him. But, uh, anyway, he's the producer in name. I have met this man twice in my entire life. Once at the premiere and at one meeting. Um, so... But he's the producer of Fistfight. So really these two guys who work for him, who are the guys who said, hey, what about two guys get into a fistfight? You might say, oh, you can be a producer and all you say is two guys get into a fistfight. But we got to understand these guys are doing all the work for this other guy who's a great director. But, you know, how much producing is he doing on these movies he's producing? You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, okay. So yeah. they're they're earning they're, – everybody's doing their job. He has a name. He has prestige from the projects he's done. Uh, and he can help get a movie made. He's got these guys doing the actual groundwork for him, getting the movie made. So everybody does contribute sure. their part. Uh, it's a little confusing, I think, to the home viewer what all these things mean, though, because what your part is can be different things. So Max Greenfield, he has this idea. He writes up this sort of... He, he tells his friend, his friend says, well, can you write up like a page about it so I understand? He writes it, he sends it to him, the friend is like, some of this I'm assuming, by the way, I don't actually know, but I'm probably right. He sends the document to his friend, who's a producer who works for Sean Levy, and the friend says, this is great. And what the friend does, as far as I know, is goes to lunch with me and Evan and says, hey, we've got this movie called Fist Fight, the idea is it's two people fight and this, and then I pass on it. As far I don't know what he does, but this is his attempt (laughs) to try and turn his friend, Max Greenfield, the actor's idea into a movie, is he goes to go and find, he goes, well, you're not a writer, I'll go find writers. Yeah, sure. And so eventually uh, we end up being the writers and Max was also a producer on the movie. Um, and so he was uh, he was involved in the movie uh, from before we were. Um, and okay. so there would be no fist fight without Max. Uh, I want to make that very clear. Yeah, but maybe maybe it was maybe Max was supposed to have the uh, Charlie Kelly role. Charlie Day. You think the Charlie Day? Yeah, Charlie Day role. Yeah, I'm getting them mixed up with his, his television persona. You know, I think there's a there is a version of this movie that could have come together in that way. Mm, okay. Um, but I, you know, the the way things happened to come together was at the time that the movie was getting made. Sure. Uh, Charlie uh, was the first person who ended up being attached to the script. Uh, he had read the script while it was out to directors um and he really wanted to do it new line had wanted to do a movie with charlie 
Um, and then Cube came on board and wanted to do a movie with Charlie. Uh, oh, that's funny. And wow. that was sort of how it came together. Um, he had like been a big Always Sunny fan and wanted to work with Charlie on something. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a fun and, show. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it just it, it's the kind of thing where it's like maybe there's a world where the project came about came to, pro- to production a different way where that does happen, but it, it was very Charlie driven moving into production in the way that this happened. Okay. There's kind of two pivotal phases in a movie moving from like idea, like how here it was two teachers get in a fist fight to like actual movie the first is mm. when you get a script written and so that might be either writers going out on their own and writing the script on speculation or that's the studio hearing a pitch and saying we're going to hire these writers to write this script so that's like one big inflection point where the project kind of becomes more real but then there's a sec most of those projects then die right after that phase and never make it to screen and there's a second thing called a movie getting a green light which is when you a project has been it's a script it can be read uh 99% of the time sometimes things are greenlit without a script but most of the time there's a script there's a director in place and there's an an actor in place to be the star or an idea that this movie doesn't need stars that is in place though and then a literal committee of people this is for studio movies not independent movies but like a movie by warner brothers or disney or new line or lionsgate or any of the like movie studios they all get together with things printed out and lists of movies that they've had written and they're ready to go and they decide which ones we're going to make for how much money and when. And so that was the green light process. And that was the point where Charlie really was the force that got this movie to start moving towards the green light and actually happen. Are there just, are there vaults in Hollywood filled with scripts that just never get made? Yes, there are. They're on shelves, not vaults, but you'll go into a production company's office and there will literally be shelves. The way they work is they write the name of the script in Sharpie on the side of the script. Um, So they're kind of hard to read, but they're on the shelf, just pieces of paper with the name written in Sharpie, and there'll just be hundreds of them. I remember sitting in the office of the company that made the Italian job. And looking at their shelf, and there were like 20 scripts that all said the Brazilian job. <laughs> which I assume is some sort of Italian job sequel that has not yet come together. Mark Wahlberg um, was just waiting. Yeah, they were, ta- they were talking about Yeah, they were talking about that for a while, and it just never seemed to happen. Either that or there was some rumor going around about it. But, but uh, So in yeah. 2008, there was a writer's strike. The writers will go on strike right. every 20 years or so. Um, and whenever that happens... The studios go back to this big pile of scripts they have and go, all right, can we make any of these? And ultimately the answer usually is like, not really, because when there's a writer's strike, you can do no writing on things. And most of these abandoned projects, like they got abandoned, like for like, if you could go back and find the draft, like three drafts before the last one, Maybe you could make that movie, yeah. but the one that killed it, which is the one they have, is the one that you, they, it's like, and you look at that and you're like, I don't know, man, I don't think we can make this. We said no for a reason, but they find they yeah exactly. they always find a few scripts like that whenever there's an action like that, and and a, a few movies sneak out of 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 the closet. 
Um, you mentioned uh, Ice Cube. Did you get a chance to meet yeah, Ice Cube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met um, oh, cool. I met with Cube, um, and we saw him on set and stuff, too. Uh, Cube is super cool. Uh, That's cool. Cube is a writer. He goes by Cube, by the way. I'm going to ask how long okay. do you have to know him until you can call him Cube? <laughs> I... Yeah, yeah. So everyone called... Here's the deal. Here, excuse me. Here's the deal. Everyone called him Cube. So... Uh, if you're in a you're like, and so I was just like, yeah, hey, Cube, and like now I tell a story about it. And I'm like, so Cube said, I sound like a complete, I don't know what, but like I don't know. I was around this man. Everyone called him Cube. Yeah. I said Cube. People nodded. Sure. I'm I, as far as yeah. I know, I'm supposed to call this man Cube. So uh, anyway, Cube uh, is a really cool guy. Uh, Cube is a writer. Cube wrote Friday. Right. So yeah. Great movie. Cube, my first interaction with him was getting emailed a set of notes from him after he had agreed to do the movie and then reread the script after having agreed to do the movie. So he'd read the script, he said, I want to do the movie, and then he read it again and wrote down what he wanted, like, what he didn't like about it. That was my, basically... So there was, like, notes. It was notes, <laughs> notes from Cube. Cube. His notes were really good. Um, I, I they, they Honestly, I've gotten... So many notes in my career. His notes are some of the best notes. They're really thoughtful. They were smart. They were funny. Sure. Um, cool. There were there were a couple of things he, because he protects the Cube brand that he wasn't comfortable with, Ooh. and there are a couple of things that he had that were ideas. But I I thought his notes were great. I have his Gmail address as a result. I can reveal that Ice Cube uses Whoa. Gmail. Whoa. He does wow. not use Hotmail. He does not use. Uh, iCloud. He's a Gmail user and he has an Android phone. Well, because you know what the you know what the G in <laughs> Gmail stands yeah, for. Yeah, that's right. It stands for gangster. It's gangster. But yeah, he was a really cool guy. Um, I last saw him at the premiere for the movie where he was very nice. Uh, introduced me to some people. Yeah, I love Cube, and I will say, without saying anything negative about anyone involved in the movie. I will say that Cube's audience showed up for the movie in theaters and showed up for the movie uh, on home video and showed up for the movie when it was on HBO and showed up for the movie when it was on TBS. And if you look on Twitter or online, you will see lots and lots of Cube's fans loving and enjoying the movie. I won't Very I won't cool. say if anyone else's fans did not show up for the movie and only showed up on home video. I'm not going to mention Another oh, person boy. whose fans didn't go to the theater but waited Uh-oh. to watch it on television. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll we'll pivot now to uh, to further questions here. Oh, here's another here here's a fun one. How did you meet uh, Jack Allison? Um, I think I met Jack through Evan. I know, I know. Jack is is currently he's currently in a little bit of hot water online, but um, uh, and that's I a you know if, I, you feel, I, if you feel comfortable talking about. So him, here's yeah. the thing about Jack. <laughs> I don't know if you're referencing yeah. something specific or if you're just trying to make this an evergreen podcast recording that you could release uh, anytime. Well, you, you know, know, I we, think it's Tuesday strive. night. If he's into something, it's because it's Tuesday night. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Jack, I met definitely through UCB things. Um, we I had uh i did some comedy stuff with the ucb theater um back when it was cool to do that and less clear that they were labor exploiters I, um yeah. so, let me just tell a, a quick ucb side story yes yeah, i think I'm, I'm 
I'm speaking out of turn a bunch, but I drove by UCB Sunset today. They're, they're, the UCB, for anyone listening who doesn't know, um, this is something Jack never does on his show, by the way, but I think he should. UCB, for people who doesn't know, is a experimental theater company started in New York uh, that grew from Chicago and is now in Los Angeles. Uh, it's a comedy theater. Uh, a lot of comedians did some of their first and best performances there. Uh, it's sort of a improvisational comedy institution. And like any institution, it has lots and lots of institutional issues. Anyway, I drove by the their Sunset Boulevard Theater today, which has three empty retail slots out front that they haven't been able to rent in two years. And my wife asked me, "What? what you said something about that once. Why haven't they been able to rent that? And I said, well, they've turned down, from what I understand, everybody renting that space. Um, a, a weed store tried to rent it, but they were worried it would be too much trouble. And she laughed, and she goes, that's not very 2019. And I said, no, they don't realize that selling weed is less illegal than not paying their performers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, once upon a time, it was a smaller institution that didn't have so many people had gone through the classes and they continued to not pay people. Um, and I was involved in it as a theater community. Um, and I did some shows there and I took classes there and Evan Susser, who I met in college, was also taking classes there at the time. And I believe he met Jack through UCB somehow. And then I met Jack through Evan, who I knew from college okay. and had already started uh, working on writing stuff with. Very fun, very fun. Blast. How, well, when when was that? Like mid-2000s or early 2000s? That would have or? been like, like 2008 or so. Okay, so, okay, so late 2000s then. Okay, cool. Um, but Jack and I, you know, Jack and I are good pals these days. Uh, you know, I, I always say... Uh, you know, they say keep your friends close, keep your enemies close. Here come the cops. Here come the cops, cops, cops here. <laughs> they say keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. I take that a step further and I say keep your enemies close, keep Jack Allison closer. Hey, that's a, that sounds like good advice to um, me. <laughs> but Jack and I, uh, you know, we ended up starting with Evan this show, uh, What's Going On with Mike Mitchell, um, which yes, was a, yes. a late night talk show we did at the UCB Theater. And it was working on that with Evan and Jack and Mitch that I really got to know uh, Jack really well. Oh, that's great! And that and that show is now morphed into uh, into uh, Mitch Mitch Live. Right? Uh, let me stop you there. Uh, oh that show, another faux pas, another faux pas. That show, which is <clears throat> owned by FX Networks uh, and now owned by Disney, has no connection to Mitch Live, an entirely independently created creation that happens to star both the same host and also function on the premise that said host does not know what will happen in the show but they are wholly independent creations uh entirely unrelated and mitch live will be returning correct mitch live is returning in 2020 thank god that was one of my favorite things about excellent this year i loved that show so much oh thank you so much we really love doing it um it's one of my favorite things that i do um it's so much fun i loved doing the unrelated show and unrelatedly i love doing this show it's really fun i love i i really push for and love the interactive elements i like when we can make mitch's desk shake i like when uh, the people at home really can reach out and uh, grab Mitch. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. 
Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. It was. Hey, is there any any rumors that there's going to be a Mitch live movie? We heard, I, you we know, heard you know, I saw that on the uh, on the question <laughs> sheet, and I, I this is news to me. This rumor. Um, okay. There okay. are rumors of there are several rumors of several Bugman related films, and I have no comment on those. Uh, but I this is the first time hearing of Mitch Live the movie. I could see Mitch Live as a fathom event. Do you know what a fathom event is? No, what's that? So like you'll see a thing in the newspaper or online or wherever you see things. Telling you that there's like a limited engagement live-ish thing in a movie theater, like a boxing match or like oh, okay. 16 candles and then an interview with Ali Sheedy. And these okay. are all these things. There's this company called Fathom Events. And what they do is basically they take things that would be like live shows, but also maybe involve a movie element or don't. Maybe they're just a live show with a camera. And they put sure. them in like theaters all across the country so like you go to like the amc 15 in kansas city and see this one night only live event i do think that while there is no truth to rumors of a mitch live movie that a theatrical mitch live experience in a movie theater near you is possible 40x seating 40x seating live streamed to movie theaters across the country is it happening no will it happen i don't know is it possible absolutely i think if phantom events could make room between metropolitan opera performances and the newest dragon ball movies they could they could put mitch live out so you're familiar with fathom i've been to a few or you've you've at least googled it just now no yes you've been to a few i've been to dragon ball and this the um Mm -hmm. The re-release of they the recent, Superman movie. They recently played seven episodes of Friends in movie theaters because that's a thing that happens now. I I did skip that. What? I did see the mysteries. Why? I did see the Mystery Why? Science Theater live, and I was very disappointed that there were no puppets and they were reading scripts for two hours. Mm. Yeah. That's oh, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. I wanted to uh, kind of touch on your um, experience as an inventor. Like, uh, did you did you start inventing things when you were like a young like kid, or is that something you kind of grew into? Uh, no. Like, so yeah, you know? I um, so like I had said, I, I had gone to college to be an engineer, and I'd sort of been right, interested yeah. in gizmos and gadgets. And as a kid, I was notorious for like taking everything apart but not being able to put it back together so i would like take my family's telephone <laughs> and a screwdriver and i'd be like there's four screws here let's get going and i kind of take those screws Uh-oh. out maybe lose some who knows take start taking you know the yeah. next thing you know you've just got a phone and a bunch of pieces um <laughs> i got this question in advance full disclosure to the audience and oh. i tried to rack my brain about it i asked my mother and i did come across something that i think both is early in my life, I'm 10 years old, and quali- excuse me, qualifies as an invention. All right. uh, when I was 10, I went to a new uh, school. It was a very conservative school, and like the kids got in trouble a lot. And one of the things they would make you do, sort of like Bart Simpson writing things on a chalkboard, there was this punishment called lines. And you would take a piece of loose-leaf paper, and you would have to write some a, a sentence, an arbitrary sentence about what you'd done wrong. You know, I will not throw paper at Kevin Bumgardner. You would have to write that 500 times and then turn that into your teacher. And that was your punishment for bad behavior. 
and it, you would get them all throughout the day, and you'd have to actually go home as homework and do this punishment. It was like homework punishment. It was like punishment that didn't even – it was like not even at school. You're home, and you're being punished. And so I, this would happen to me a lot because I would I would cut up in class and not understand the social cues about being silent. Um, and when I would get so many lines, it would happen and happen again. I ended up inventing – a mechanical device that allowed me to move one pencil and write 15 lines at once. Yes. Perfect. And then I would write one. I So I'd write it one time and I would have to manually move the paper up 15 lines. I'd write it again, move it up. So it increased my productivity 15 times. Uh, and it would let me knock out 500 lines in like, you know, 30 lines at the time. And so I think that, I would say that was my first invention. Were you caught? <laughs> so, no, but in retrospect, I think it was very obvious that the the lines were written with some sort of device that was duplicating them because the handwriting would be exactly the same for 15 lines, and then it would change for another 15 lines, and then it would change for another 15 lines. And so I can only imagine that my teacher, when he looked at this, was like, I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but I can't, like tell him he's in trouble for it it seems it 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 boggles my mind you probably put more effort into the invention than actually writing it out exactly so i think the reality is i turned it into a teacher who looked at it and was like well he did something (laughs) but it seems smart so i'm not gonna say anything good job kid um yeah so the answer was no i never got caught but in retrospect i think i may have been caught silently speaking of inventions you'll be doing the van labs test podcast could you tell us a little bit Thank about you. that uh yeah absolutely you know i i started the podcast a few years ago and did it for a few episodes um and at the time i was i had not been involved in the um sort of uh like uh day-to-day minutia of how a podcast works in a few years um i'd helped a friend with a podcast years prior and like uploaded it to iTunes or whatever, and was like, you know, you need an RSS feed. Sign up with Libsyn. Like I learned all this podcast jargon, and then some years went by, and someone asked me some podcast questions, and I was like, you know, I actually don't know. I've been out of it for a few years. I don't really know about it. And I did the podcast in order to, for myself, you know, I find often the best way to learn about something is to just try and do it, and then like fail really badly and in failing at it, you will learn so much about what it is you were trying to do. And so I started doing the test podcast, and I, I said as I do it, it was a test of podcasting that is also a podcast about testing. And that's kind of the ethos of the show still, as I come to bring it back. Um, it is about testing things. Uh, testing new electronics, testing ideas, um, you know, you could test anything on it. Uh, but also, it is a podcast about testing. Or, I'm sorry, also it is a test of podcasting. Which is to say that uh, I also want to push the medium as much as I can when doing it. Um, you know, I did some video podcasts when I did it before. Uh, I might try some different kinds of experimental podcast methods this time. But, so, it is simultaneously two things. It is a testing and review podcast where I will test things and review them for the audience, but it is also simultaneously at the same time 
an attempt to push the medium forward by testing new ideas in podcasting, things people have never tried. A little example, something that I'm going to preview now. Uh, I'm going to introduce this on my first episode. This is a Dune Boys exclusive. I'm going to set up a voicemail number, and anyone who leaves a a message on that voicemail at a certain period of time, that voicemail will automatically get pushed out as a podcast to an RSS feed. Wow. Just just the voicemail. Yes, I'm message. hooking a phone number on one end to a podcast on the other end. This is revolutionary. Yeah, no, no one's ever done it. Yeah. Uh, but that's the sort of thing, and I don't know how it'll end. I'm going to test it out on the Van Labs test podcast. Cool. So that's, the, cool. So, that's yeah. the sort of thing you might see happen. Will people leave vulgar messages that will make the podcast get banned from iTunes. I was going to I was going to really? say how I, long I, I don't get know. <laughs> I don't know and I'm going to test it. The only way to find out is to test it. That's exactly the ethos of the show. So that's what the show is going to be is that sort of stuff. Wow, that's crazy. That's uh that sounds great. I really look forward to uh, listening to that. That's sure. trust. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I guess we should get to the uh, food portion <laughs> of our show now. Great, great. Very exciting. Because we always like to uh, feel out our guests as far as like food goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very important. Um, so do you uh, dunk your cookies in milk? Do you dunk your cookies in, uh, in milk when you eat them sometimes? I do dunk my cookies in milk. Wow. All right. Uh, asked and answered. Uh, hold on. Let me. I'll give you a quick anecdote. <laughs> At work at Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, where I sometimes work, uh, we have a lot of Oreo options. Oh, a lot of Oreo, like different flavors. Yeah, different flavors of Oreos. Any seasonal Oreo we try to get. Uh, we recently had some Moon Landing anniversary Oreos. You'd What's be surprised what they make an Oreo for. Yeah, well, Moon Landing. Um, but so I, I, I've dipped, I've dipped a few of those in different milks at the office. I, I don't drink a lot of dairy milk anymore as a grown man, but I, I love, uh, almond milk and soy milk and oat milk. Uh, but I, I, I like to dip an Oreo in milk. Excellent. Yeah, no, it is delicious. Uh, go on anyway. Next question. <laughs> next question. Uh, what's your thoughts on pickles? Do you like pickles? You know, I'm going to make you ask me this question as a paired question, like in the pre-questions, because that's important to the answer. Is there something else you want to know if I like? Uh, mustard. Mustard. Yeah. What thoughts on mustard as well? So here's the thing. <laughs> I hate pickles. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But I love mustard. Hey, perfect. Mustard is my favorite condiment. And pickles are my least favorite food. I agree with half love of a mustard. Those, uh, hate, hate, hate a pickle. Now I want to keep something in mind here. I don't hate pickling. Okay. I hate the thing that you know is a pickle. It is a cucumber that has been pickled. Right. Pickled carrot, pickled okra, pickled green bean. Any day, give it to me. Love it. Pickled cauliflower, just had some the other day. Delicious. Oh, yeah, pickled, pickled cauliflower is really good. A pickled cucumber, a.k.a. a pickle? No thanks. Take it off my plate. Yours if you want it. Are you a fan of cucumbers by themselves? Nope. Hmm. And that's where, my pickle, that's where my pickle issue comes from. 
I have that, consistency. That makes sense. You got you know, I got if you you, you as, don't like it across the board, right? So here's the thing. I had an older sister, and I don't know. Did either of you have an older sibling? Oh yes. Nope. So once you know, I used to not like ketchup. And this will we'll get into this when we talk about mustard. Uh, I used to not like ketchup. Uh, why did I not like ketchup? Because I didn't like tomatoes, and I tried to like ketchup and not tomatoes, and the older sister wouldn't let me do it. Oh no! I wouldn't hear the end of it. Yeah. I don't like tomatoes. I go to have some ketchup, but you don't like tomatoes, says oh. the older sister. Oh. Uh, so I learned to be consistent with my food likes and dislikes, uh, and I did not like pickles. And as a result, I think, I suspect, I can't be certain, I'd have to talk to my therapist, but I suspect my dislike of cucumbers comes from my dislike of pickles. Okay. I think I just instinctively have to dislike the cucumber to dislike the pickle, which I do naturally dislike. Now, that being (laughs) said, as someone who didn't like tomatoes, but couldn't eat ketchup because they would get too much shit from their older sister... Mustard became my condiment of choice. Fries ate them with mustard. Awesome. That's I abandoned awesome. So much ketchup completely. So I'm all about mustard uh, and hate pickles. When you're a therapist and you get paid as much as you do, when something like that comes up, I'm sure they love the hours <laughs> of, of time and just say, go on, and they're quiet. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about pickles, please. Tell me yeah. more about ketchup and pickles. Yes, this is very important. Yes, you aren't just talking. They aren't just words to me. Anyway. It's not just a pickle. <laughs> yes, it's that too. It's not just a pickle. Yes, you're uh, right. You've uncovered, you've uncovered my innate homophobia. That's what my pickle dislike is about. <laughs> you've, I've been revealed. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um... What's your uh, favorite uh, soda? What, what what do you drink? Actually, we did, we never did a hydration check. What are you drinking there, uh, Mister Van? I've got a Smart Water. Oh, Smart Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I'm smart. Um, yeah. Favorite soda is probably Diet Coke. Uh, I know that that's like bad for you, and I guess worse for you than regular Coke. But that's my favorite soda. If I have one, love a, a sparkling water, non-flavored like everyone these days. Sure. Um, or not non-flavored, but like you know, like a Lacroix, like a uh, one of these things that is is basically just carbonated water. I love those. Sure. Pepsi is bad. It's gross. Um, when I was a little kid, I loved. Sprite and 7-Up. Do you feel... First of all, I completely agree with the Pepsi. Two-part questions. Do you call it soda or pop? Um, I don't even remember what I used to call it, but uh, it definitely has never been pop in my world. Um, I think it's soda. You know, I come from uh, the South, and I come from the Southeast specifically. And, you know, I don't know if you know about this. Do you know in Texas, they call it all Coke? Everything's Coke. So that's, like, right near me. The part of Texas where they call everything Coke is, like, right on... I'm from New Orleans. I'm from Louisiana. And Texas is a border state. And right over the border, like, right in Texas, they call everything Coke. And we don't do that where I'm from, but we're, like, so close to that. And so I knew people growing up who would be like, what kind of Coke do you want 7-Up? But we we called it soda. The big thing where I'm from, though, because I'm also from New Orleans, which is, like, a heavy, heavy, heavy drinking town. Yeah. 
and we the, really the term when I was a kid was soft drink. Oh, not okay. to be confused with a hard drink, which had liquor in it. And so kids would drink soft drinks and adults would drink hard drinks, I think is the etymology. But so we called them soft drinks when I was a kid. But soda I would use over pop. For sure. That makes sense. Yeah. This ties together with alcohol and soft drinks. Do you feel yourself addicted to Diet Coke? I've been suffering that myself. Mm, um, at times I have. The dangers um, I'm of not, the... I'm not... The dollar McDonald's Coke. I've I've never been a fast food, big old, like, jumbo Coke drinker. I'm more of a, like, pop six cans in a row kind of a Diet Coke drinker. But I'm I'm largely off the stuff these days. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. You're not... uh... You're not hopelessly addicted to uh, Diet Coke like Jeff is. (laughs) I'm not alone. Oh... Uh, speaking of fast food, what's your uh, go-to order at McDonald's? Like, what do you what do you get when you go there? Uh, I like uh, a fish fillet or six-piece nuggets. Nice, nice. That's respectable. That's respectable. Do you ever get looks when you order the fish fillet? Because I do. I'm more of a fish person, seafood than meat, and they always stare at me like I'm the only person that orders these things. I'm sure they all pull them out of a freezer. You know, I haven't gotten that, and I'm I look. I don't I don't really know you. I think you got to figure out if that's you or them. Oh boy, yeah. I do get that look. <laughs> I think lot. it might be you. I think I'm, I think I think it's you. I think it's you. Oh, Jeff. I don't think they're giving it to you. Uh. Honestly, it's in a freezer. It's completely frozen, and then they throw it in oil. It's like the easiest thing they do. It's the least likely thing to have been contaminated by some other nonsense going on there. I don't think they're judging you. I think it's you. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> How is uh, Jeff? Is, has this happened to you multiple times? Like, what's? Going I don't want to think about it now because I'm going to get upset. Oh, oh no! Don't get upset, Jeff. It's all right. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I think, we'll, we'll, I think uh... it's in your head. I'm just that's my position. <laughs> is I think it's in your head, and I think it's something for you to explore. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, might be worth might be worth looking. I'll talk to my therapist about my feelings on fillet of fish and judgment. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think you should. <laughs> what's uh, what's the worst pronunciation of your last name you've come across before? Because I'll admit your name's not your last name's not like super easy. I mean, I don't know. Well, so that we can be fully inclusive. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that each each of you pronounce my last name. Okay, for me now, yeah. Van Robichaux. Okay, yeah. let me hear your version of it. Van Robichaux. Wow, you guys did really good. Cool. Dickie's Canadian. Um, He's got French people up there. Yeah, okay, that's true. All right. yeah, there, yeah. There's uh so the most con- that you guys both pronounced it basically correct. Robichaux is what I say. Um, I would say that the most consistent bad pronunciation I get is ro- Robichucks. Oh, boy. And I I get worse ones or different ones, but that's the one where I go like, you can't have thought that's what uh, it was. Yeah. Like, they, what happens is they do CH. Yeah. And they go, oh, like Chuck. And they see yeah. the U. And they go, oh, definitely like Chuck. And they look at it again, and they're like, A-U-X. Well, there's no way that's Chuck's. 
<laughs> like, there's no way A-U-X is pronounced Ux. Yeah. yeah. Like, where's that... How's that working in? Like, A-U is uh, and then X is Cusa? Like, it's, it doesn't quite work. Uh, but they, I think they start with the C-H and they go from there. But I, So I've gotten lots of Robichucks. Um, I get Robichaw a lot, which I find much less egregious because that's like an attempt sure. to pronounce this thing. And you're like, yeah, Shaw, like show makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense once you know it and then you look at it and you're like, I guess C-H is S, A-U is uh. And X yeah. is like a W somehow because it's just a bunch of lines <laughs> in both of them. I don't know the logic. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the other one I get. Um, I've had people like guess just do the you know the thing where you like you get halfway through the name and then you like bail and just say anything. Sure, I get that yeah. sometimes. Like, <laughs> just falls apart. Yeah, just like at the, it's like Robichada what a day. Yeah, and it's just it starts yeah. to be sounds that aren't possibly related. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Robichuck sounds like a good name for a fighting robot in that Hugh Jackman movie. Mm-hmm. Or, it's, or it might, or it sounds like a good like cough syrup medication. Oh yeah, that's that's the other thing. Robitussin. That was one of yeah. the things mean oh, kids yeah. would say to me as a child. Thanks for bringing oh, it up. Oh shit. Man, I've made a couple of faux pas tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Moving from um, Louis, did you live live in New Orleans or just Louisiana? Uh, I lived in New Orleans. Did you lose your accent, or does it slip out sometimes? You know, I I watched so much television as a kid. I'm like, uh, I like was raised by Nick at Night. Um, that I think I just always spoke with a sort of mid-Atlantic television, uh, like, newscaster accent, uh, just from watching so much TV and having every American accent combined into the sort of uh, genericized one. When I go back there, I get a little bit of it. Like, I, I know how to say y'all. Most of the equivalents, like you guys work much less it's unnecessarily gendered you guys should all be ashamed no shit um but but so i i'll slip into it a little bit my wife is uh from upstate new york she'll sound more like she's from upstate new york when she gets back from upstate new york than i will sound like i am from the south getting back from new orleans that being said the other thing to mention is that a new orleans accent is not a southern accent it's its own very peculiar very specific accent my dad has it. Is it creole uh well it's complicated if you want me to get into some etymology is the wrong word because that's about words and not accents but whatever the word that's like etymology but about accents and not words is we're going to get into that now here we go in new orleans you've got a lot of influences in the south but it's also a port city so we've got people coming in from europe we've got people bringing things down the mississippi river and then you've got people taking things in on ships from the new york new jersey area down the eastern seaboard around to new orleans to take them down to panama and further to the south or the other direction so there's all of these different things competing for accents And a thing that happened was a bunch of Carmelite nuns from New Jersey moved to New Orleans in, like, 1890 and started a bunch of schools. And so what happened was around 1890, everybody's daughter 
got taught English by a nun from New Jersey. (laughs) And so cut to like 1930, everybody's mom, we're in the middle of the deep South and everybody's mom sounds like she's from New Jersey because these New Jersey nuns start like five all girls schools. (laughs) And so by the like sixties and seventies, we have this insane accent in the city that is like the deep South meets New Jersey. Wow. And so, so like, like the, the like, things are colliding. Yes. So like time. the, like the, if you had to like make a phrase, that's like the ultimate thing a new Orleans person would say to another person. It's, and it sounds very like, it's like, it has a little bit of a, like a Tony Soprano running into you lilt to it. Is it's how's your mom and them? How's your mom and them? That's like what a New Orleans accent sounds like. How's no. your mom and them? It's like a, this thing. Where it's like, oh, y'all good? You and your mom? You and your mom all right? It's this insane East Coast New Jersey meets Deep South thing. Um, and so I don't have it. My dad does. Uh, my mom is from the actual south part of Louisiana, where so she, like, she has no accent now. But like when she was a little girl, she sounded like, uh, like uh, True Blood, like Sookie uh. on True Blood. I'm like, how y'all doing? I'm here in the south, and so I, I had a so I had a really southern accented mom, and then a dad with the like New Orleans accent, which is this weird like bastard Texas meets New Jersey accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the result is, I just sound like I sound. I, I don't know. I, I, it's not anything I've ever paid attention to. Sure. I suspect I sounded a little bit more like it when I was a kid, but not really. I think I'm, I'm a like raised by TV kid who just speaks in generic fake America English from TV. Ah, there you go. It's perfect. It's, uh, yeah. No, you, no, your, your, um, uh, your diction and your uh, enunciation are both quite spot good. on. Well, yes. thanks for implying that if I spoke like where I'm from, they wouldn't be. I that was offensive. <laughs> I what? No, come on. I was not. I was not my angle at all there. <laughs> oh boy. Next question. Next question. Um, do you? Uh, this comes from our Dish Boys uh, squadron. Do sure, you, uh, sure. Wash? Do you wash dishes? Do you? Do you, are you? Do you wash dishes in your uh, home? We, we have a dishwasher. Oh. Um, so we put we put them in there. We use the pods. I have a bad habit of, and maybe this is because I want to dishwash them the way you guys seem to support. Um, I'll put a dish in the sink, which is right by the dishwasher, and my wife will say, "Why didn't you just put it all the way in the dishwasher?" And I'll go, "I don't know. I didn't know we were going to wash it." There you go. Like that's the thing. It's it's your see your impulse is to put it in the sink where it mm-hmm. gets washed, right? But it's you still have to put it in the dishwasher. So that's like another extra step, right? Like it, that's, and she has said, and I don't want to bring my marital disputes into this podcast, but she has said, that's that a, it wouldn't be it, the first time on here. That's she true. has said that to put it in the sink, but not the dishwasher is worse than doing nothing at all. Like leaving it on the table, leaving it in the living room, <laughs> just put it on the floor. <laughs> Let the dog but get take it. Take it from somewhere that's not, the dishwasher and to put it near the dishwasher but not in it she has said is worse than doing nothing at all and i I leave it to you dear listeners to reply get into the comments uh start your own podcast whatever you have to do to let me know how you feel 
Yes, yes, you can, you know, all, all our listeners, they can apply for um, for grants from the Bugmane <laughs> Foundation to uh Sure, to whatever start you their have to projects. do to let me know that I'm right, yeah. uh, to please do it. Yes. Please start yes, a Dude exactly. Boys after show. Thank you. Do, Thank you, you, uh, do you have, like, a uh, favorite, like, cup or, like, mug that you like to use when you're at home? Uh, I have a blue coffee mug with a V on it that I, I like to use. What's the what's the V stand for? <laughs> it stands for it stands for van. Oh, oh okay, yeah, that's that my makes name. Sense. I it's my name. I write it on all the things that I do. That's yeah, no, that's that's very cool. No, it's uh, not uh, egocentric at uh, at all. No. Mm, mm, no. <laughs> you know, let's talk about that for a second, actually, since you brought it up. Okay, yeah. You know, I had a hard time in in grade school, uh, grammar school. Some people call it. Uh, sure. Primary school, elementary school, a lot of names for it. Yeah, it can be a rough, really rough time for kids, you know, really for kids growing up. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the things that were really mean to me about actually was my name, Van. Um, it's hmm. my middle. It's my middle name. Um, my first name's John. Uh, but I, my parents always called me Van, and they were very insistent that my peers and teachers call it to me. Uh, and the kids, they they would they honk honk beep beep. Um, oh boy. You know, can we drive you? Are you a minivan? Uh, and they said a lot of mean things about it. And I, when I was uh, 11, I tried to change my name to, to John, and it, it didn't work out, and it didn't stick. And people just found out my name was Van, and it was a whole thing. It was a very painful period of my childhood. And as an adult, uh, as a result of that, I've taken the name Van back. Um, and people go, oh, like a van. And I go, yeah, I love vans. I take yeah. pictures of them. I post them on my Instagram. They're great. Yeah, man, so. And I fully embraced it. Uh, I'm happy to be it. Uh, I am Van. I'm more Van than man. Uh, and that's who I am now. And uh, nothing you say or do uh, can take that away from me. And I dare you to try. You owned it. Mm-hmm. Full on. That's righteous. But thank you for bringing that up from my childhood. I really appreciate that. <laughs> You're not uh, winning a lot of points today, buddy. Well, I, I I had a couple of faux pas. I had a couple of missteps. It's you know, it's it's, no, it's going it's, really. Is, it's going really well. This is what uh, this is what it's all about. All right, what else you guys got? Um, you mentioned uh, New Orleans earlier. There's a there's a lawyer in New Orleans that has your name. Is it is it true that they're like clones of 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 yourself being like sent out across the country? Here's the thing. That lawyer does not have my name. It's not the same name? Did I misspell it? I have that lawyer's name. <laughs> oh, shit. That lawyer is my father. <gasps> oh, my God. That's so random. Is I, it so random, though? Hmm. I am John Vance the Third. That is my full name. The other van you were referring to, his real name is John Vance Robichaud Jr. Oh, okay. So my clone theory was uh, just... Essentially half right. Okay. <laughs> what part did I get right? Well, he's half a clone of me. I share half oh, the that's DNA. True. That yeah. yeah, no, that so is true. The theory is half right. It's exactly half right. Science. Your theory, this man has exactly the same DNA as this man. Then yep. we did tests. And we found out I only have half his DNA. Your theory is half right. I love science. It's the best. 
Love it so much. Your father did a DNA test on his own son. <laughs> For the dude oh. boys, it was worth it. Well, guys, this has been great. If you guys have any more questions about Dune, me, movies, television, now's your shot. I think you should Dune. purchase Dune. Already going to happen, but go on. <laughs> and then get back to us, and we will do a follow-up mm, Follow-up after I've read. Now, here's the thing. I could do two ways. <laughs> I'm going to buy it. I could do... You'd have a rare opportunity to get a follow-up from me at a specific point in the book, Dune. Now, you don't have to want this or like this idea. But because I haven't read Dune, a rare thing for a guest on a Dune-based podcast, if you wanted to know, like, what does someone who's read half of Dune think? Because I'm sure you've had plenty of people who've not read Dune, plenty of people who've read Dune. I don't know if you've had anybody who's read half of Dune. If you wanted me to read half of Dune and then come back on, I just want to give you that option. I'm going to say the novel Dune is divided into three parts. You need to read the first book. Yeah. Have you thought about half of the first book? No, because Dune is, there is so much in the very first part of mm -hmm, Dune mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it will be a slow read, and then it gets going. I, you gotta, I, I'm a fast reader. I'm not worried about being able to get through it. You're saying get into the whole saga. Yeah, I'm saying read the very first book, but it's divided into three different sections of the first book. Yeah. Read, read the, first the first two, two and then get back, back to us. The first two yeah. sections of the first book? Yes. It's mm. there's so, uh it's divided into okay. So just I wanna just I'm writing yeah. this down, I wanna just make sure I have this. I propose to you yeah. that I read half of Dune. You have countered requesting I read two thirds of Dune. Yes, two thirds of Dune. Okay. No, I think that's a that's a really fair counter. Yeah, there's it's I'm I'm trying to say book, but I'm not sure how to say it because it's not really chapters, right. It's not actually right. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So read two thirds of Dune, then get back to us. Okay, mm -hmm. that's possible. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. Um, is there any uh, like are you are you going to be writing any more with Brooklyn Nine Nine anytime soon? You you seem like you're on a roll. Uh, there. Yeah, we're coming back for another season. Uh, season seven is going to premiere in February. Cool. We've already written it. It's already done. Uh, I'm off work from it now. Awesome. Uh, but then we'll be coming back to do a season eight for that will either air in 2020 or 2021. Uh, and I'm going to go back and work on that as well. So, yes, I will be doing more Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, next year. So you have to go back to the East Coast to do that? or No, we that do not. We do everything in Los Angeles. Uh, the okay. show is filmed cool. in Los Angeles. The show is written in Los Angeles. Uh Honestly, most references are about Manhattan. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's great. I live near Chicago, and when ER was on, mm. they would film it, I believe, in probably California somewhere. And then, Yes, it was filmed in Los Angeles, yes, on the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, they would ship everybody up, or a couple actors up, for about a week, two uh, weeks. Just grab and a just... few quick exteriors. Yeah, is that what they do for Brooklyn Nine-Nine? We don't even do that. Wow. Oh. We shoot L.A. for New York, and if you ask me, it looks perfect. It looks pretty great. Yeah, no, for sure. No accidental palm trees or no. mountains in the background? There's definitely not California plates in a lot of shots. 
And if you look yeah. carefully, you definitely won't see them. Yep, yep. Do they, uh, oh, no, no, I'm not going to ask that. <laughs> Never mind. Ha! Move, moving on. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to make you tell me that off the record when we're done recording. Oh, no, it's just a stupid 9-11 joke. It was, it was <laughs> not even worth, oh, not great. even worth, uh, even yeah. Even better. Not even worth mentioning. <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's required as we wrap up. Is there anything you would like to to plug besides the Van Labs test project? <coughs> test podcast. <coughs> test. <laughs> um, you're confusing it's us with vodka. you're confusing us with the Mindy project. But uh, uh, just to follow me at uh, at Van the Brand on Twitter. Stay tuned for the Van Labs test podcast coming soon to the Buzzcast Network. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. And uh, oh, you can. I, 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 you know, this all came about uh, from a fundraiser for BugCon 2020. Uh, I will be at BugCon 2020. So if you want to see me in person, uh, get a get a pass for BugCon 2020. I'll be there. That's it. Tickets are available at shopbazizio.com. That is B A Z I Z O. Yeah, exactly. Got to get those. Got to get those BugCon tickets going. Got to get my flight booked. And we'll be there too. Oh, great! 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 Yeah. And I'm bringing mustard. (laughs) Awesome. You know, I love mustard. Hate pickles. Don't bring pickles. Uh, No pickles allowed? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't set the rules. We're going to bring in a big old barrel. (laughs) It's going to be filled with pickles. Well, Uh, thank you so much, man. Uh, You guys are welcome. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Pleasure talking to you. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. All right. Good night, baby. <laughs> Good night, Bay. This was a Buzzcast Network production. Wow.